Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Psalm 118 and 24 says, you can say it with me, this is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. You might be asking, how are you rejoicing when Coco and Serena lost? Yeah, um, I'm not rejoicing in their loss, though I don't think we've heard the last of either one of them. I'll, let me be clear about that. I am excited about the U.S. women's soccer team. So somebody had to ask me out the service a couple weeks ago, do you watch soccer? I said, oh, yeah, they, not really, but yeah, women's soccer, <laughs> all about it. Um, but I don't rejoice in anybody's loss at all, nor do we rejoice in the losses we might incur on a daily basis. Right? Nor do I dis discard or minimize the, the challenging situations that each of us no doubt find ourselves in. Um, nor am I wanting to be trite amidst very complex, nuanced societal and social issues um, that might warrant action. But I do love to declare for myself and by extension you because you get to hear what one of my favorite artists of all times, John P. Key, said in the early 90s in a song he penned, Jesus is real. He's real, and I'm grateful to know him. Is it good to know Jesus this morning? I don't know about you, but it is a good thing to know him and to, to, to embrace the privilege of stewarding every 24 hours that we get above ground to love him and to love each other well. So this is the day that he's made. And while everything may not be, what is it, roses and sunshine, because life isn't always that we can rejoice because he sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. It's good to see all of you. If I've not met you yet, my name is Paul. I am privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation. So happy that all of you came out this morning to those live streaming. We appreciate you joining us as well and choosing to spend an hour of your time in worship with us. We don't take that for granted. Thank you uh, for being here. To every volunteer who serves every single week, embracing the privilege of being inconvenienced to serve as unto the Lord. Thank you. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our Victory Kids. Can we give it up for them? Uh, when your kids are excited to come to church, that's a big deal. And my kids, our kids, they want to come with me early for the meetings. And I, I'm, I caught myself saying, no, no. And I said, oh, maybe we need to figure that out. Y'all are excited to come to church. And so we are grateful that down in the gym, our, our preschool, our elementary folks and back here, preschool and toddlers are being trained up in the way that they should go through the word. Um, and we're just grateful for all of them. And to that end, Erica, where are you? Can you raise your hand? I think you said this when you were on stage, but if interested in impacting the next generation through Victory Kids, Erica will be outside by the connection table if you want to talk with her about observing and perhaps participating uh, in that process. It's good to have you all here. Turn with me uh, in the word to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. And let me mention this to any volunteer in the room who didn't get an email from me. If you didn't, then we want to get you with your coordinator so you can get on the email list. But September 7th, uh, we're going to have a dinner just for you. That'll be about a year or so since we launched our preview services last fall at the Boys and Girls Club. And so we're just going to have a volunteer appreciation dinner where you don't have to coordinate, you don't have to plan, you just show up. Look nice, bring your kids if you have kids, and we're going to have a good time. The dinner will be prepared for you. The place will be set up for you, and it will be a, an opportunity for you to be acknowledged for uh, service with excellence. All right, Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 
40. Before we read, I'd love to pray. So, Lord, help us this morning as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 reads this way. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And the title of the message uh, this morning are the two words taken from the 40th verse there. Hang on. Hang on. Um, yesterday, I was hanging on in a spin class with my wife. Yeah, hanging on. I got up. So, uh, typically on Saturdays, she'll do her thing. She'll take the kids with her, and it's kind of a moment for me to just reflect, pause, pray, just final preparations, if you will, for the, for the day on Sunday. But yesterday, I said, you know, I missed a workout this past week. I need to get to the gym. Maybe I'll come to spin with you. And I was thinking... It'll be nice to spend some time to love on you and to just be next to you even while we're doing what we're doing. I had no idea the kinds of seats that exist on those spin bikes. And if you've been in spin, you know there was no man on the committee that created those (laughs) things. So I'm hanging on in there. But my kids are excited because they're like, Daddy's coming. Even though I don't spend any time with them, they're back, you know, playing. Taylor says, hey, we got to go start to 10. I said, okay, I'll drive behind you. But she says, but I'll, I'll, sign, I'll, get a, I'll reserve a bike for you. I'm like, how about that? <laughs> I'm loving on her, loving on the kids, and hanging on when I get there. <laughs> but I thought all of us, in many ways, tried to love on the people in our sphere of influence. Love on people because it matters. It matters to love on them. And in the way might be a seat that's uncomfortable. It might be an offense that takes place that makes it more difficult for you to love, though you know that it matters. The challenge then is committing. I often say to couples when they're getting ready to be married or at the wedding itself, Lord, help us, help them when the feeling they are saying these vows in is no longer there to do what they've committed to do. And that's not a downer. That's just a part of premarital preparation for the moments that the feeling may not be there to say, I still commit to love. And so the main point from this text that I'll emphasize this morning, there are so many, of course, that we could emphasize from the verses we've read, is that love does matter. It matters. Loving others matters. And so we want to love like it matters because it does. The book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Just as a backdrop and context to put us all on the same plane, it's the first of 27 books in the New Testament. There are 39 in the Old, and it's the first of four in the New Testament known as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about the life of Jesus, emphasizing different aspects of his life, specifying or detailing the ways of how he lived and how we ought to emulate what he lived for and how he lived. Matthew's gospel in particular shows Jesus as the promised Messiah whose death brings salvation to us. Written primarily, theologians believe, for a Jewish audience, he is speaking of Jesus as the promised Messiah, a fulfillment, if you will, of the Old Testament. So his life 
his death is all to illustrate that this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And in our text today, in verses 34 through 40, uh, the Sadducees, there's this conversation that's just finishing up where the Sadducees, who were a group of people who didn't believe in the resurrection, and I can't help but hear in my head as I say that, all of the preachers of my youth, who because they didn't believe in the resurrection, the preachers would say they were then sad, you see, um, had asked him this question about the resurrection, the very thing that they didn't believe in. They give an example of a lady who was married a number of times and say, well, who's going to be her husband in heaven? And Jesus, being savage sometimes that he can be, he kind of shut it down and said, you don't, you don't listen. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not even reading the scriptures because when we're there, no one's going to be given in marriage. In fact, they'll be like the angels. And what's more, he's the God of the living, kind of implying, where are you in your faith now? So verse 34 picks up on that conversation and the Pharisees, who commonly throughout the Gospels were challenging Jesus. They were experts in the law, a religious group of folks who loved to, to, to clash with Jesus around the interpretation of the law said, okay, we have it. We have a question that's going to trip you up, that's going to trap you. Tell us what the greatest commandment is. Kind of reminds me, because I'm in the classroom, not of many students, some of who are sitting here today, not y'all especially, but some students who might say, hey, Professor Harris, um, so listen, I know you're all about the education of the individual and you want us to put forth our best work because you're all about progress and where, where we can get to by the end of the semester. So that deadline, <laughs> that's tomorrow, it wouldn't be my best work. So do you think, like what matters more, the quality of my work, right, or the deadline? <laughs> and I say something like, uh, <laughs> probably not Jesus-like I need to work on, but did you read the syllabus? Quality and on time is important in this space. But Jesus, not as sarcastic, he listens to their question and he responds in this way. And another sidebar, parenthetical, Jesus is, by this point, he's being followed by a crowd. He's teaching a whole lot, Frankie, and people are coming, but not everyone is with him. And might I say to you, parenthetically, not the main point, people might be following, gathering around because things are happening in your life that are going really well. Maybe there's a little fame or fortune being brought your way, but know that every question that comes your way isn't because there's wanting to be, there's not a, a, a desire for genuine understanding as much as there just might be a desire to trip you up on the road God has you on. So the Pharisee says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 6 and 5, which says just that, which if we do, really, all of the other commandments won't be an issue if we're loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And for me, when I read this scripture, Caleb, I think any scripture, I have about 20 questions every time I'm reading through, but one of them is, well, what does it mean to love? What does it look like to love? And for me, Mark, I think if I'm going to think about love. One of the things I love about scripture is that it interprets itself. So if I have a question, I can unpack the answer to that question by going to another scripture. And so for me, I go to 1 John 4 and 8, which says God is love. And so if that's the language that I'm using, then maybe I'm on my way to what it looks like to love. So love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Well, if you're love, God, how have you expressed love? I go to John 3, 16, where it says, God so loved the world that he, you can talk back, yeah, he gave his leftovers, what was kind of remaining that he didn't want. 
the little crumpled up, balled up, bottled bagel my kids tried to give me yesterday and saying, Dad, you want this? Like, no, the trash doesn't want that. <laughs> but thank you, sweetie. It's beautiful. <laughs> Not leftovers. He gave the most precious resource, his only begotten son. And so if I am to love the Lord God with my whole heart, my whole mind, my soul, it means I'm giving up those things that are the most precious to me. My will, my desire, my goals, my ambition. God, it's yours. Do I have a witness, Abraham, for example? Abraham, that son that I gave you, I want him. I mean, in our old age, the son you just, yeah, yeah. You love me? I want him. You know the story, Abraham says, uh, oh, uh, okay, uh, hey, Isaac, let's go on a trip, man. We're going to go up here to this mountain. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord, and, 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 and we're just going to trust him. Isaac says, uh, okay, Dad, we start going up this mountain. They get to the top of the mountain. Isaac says, um, I see the, the wood. I see the rope, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, the Lord will provide. For Isaac knew he's bound to the wood, about to be the sacrifice before the angel of the Lord says, okay, you can stop. I see now that you fear me and that you love me. And it goes on in Genesis 22 to cite then how through his descendants, the nations would be blessed. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and Matthew, earlier in Matthew, they said, leave your nets, your livelihood, and your father, the scripture says, and follow me. And what did they do? They got up and they went. Love the Lord with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your soul. Now, I am not saying that you need to leave this space, because I don't know where each of you are in your prayer lives, and you might have been thinking about quitting your job. You don't need to leave here saying, the preacher said, <laughs> I need to leave my livelihood like Simon and Andrew and follow Jesus. Very rarely will you ever hear me say something like that. That's between you and God, and he might say that, but... I believe the Lord, though, is saying in that space what Joshua also said to the Israelites in Joshua 24, where he said, serve him faithfully, fear him, give up the gods of your ancestors. So if we're loving him with our whole heart, our whole mind and our soul, coming back to the text, all of those gods, which might be the great job that he gave you, needs to be put in its proper place. If we're offering everything to him, loving him with our whole heart our soul, and our mind. But he doesn't stop there unprompted. He then goes on to where we'll focus today and says, the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. One of the cross-reference scriptures for this is Leviticus 19, where it says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you too were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Later in the New Testament, John 15 and 12, also in the 13th chapter, it says, As I have loved you, love one another. Kind of capturing those that maybe not, they don't love themselves. Or if they're thinking they can hate you, they hate themselves. They feel like I'm following scripture. He says, okay, no. As I've poured myself out for you, pour yourself out for those in your sphere of influence. Love like it matters because it does. When God gave his all for you and for me, our eternal security rests on that singular act of love. So how might we too love, not with us in mind, but with those that God puts in our sphere of influence? Relationship is undeniably, undeniably a part of the image of our triune God. And we being made in the image of God, we then get the privilege of stewarding the image of God such that he can be glorified. 
So we want to love like it matters because it, in fact, does matter. Another question that comes up in my mind when I think of loving our neighbor is who is our neighbor? And I'll just point you to Luke 10 and not tell the whole story, but to paraphrase it, there's a guy who's walking down Main Street in Charlottesville. He gets beat up. Bleeding, it's kind of bruised, and people are walking by. Students walk by, they see nothing, they're not doing anything. A professor walks by, they see they don't do anything. Community members walk by, they don't see, they see stuff, they don't do anything. And then one person who saw what happened pulls over and says, Hey, do you need a little bit of help? Can I get you an Uber to the UVA ER? Luke 10 says, in, in response to another question the Pharisees were asking about, who our neighbor is. He says, who was the neighbor then? And they say very clearly, it was the one who stopped. He says, you now go and do likewise. But the challenge for us in our biblical stewardship of the resources God has given us is that we can be so distracted by the seat. We can be distracted but by what might not feel comfortable. We can be distracted by what might be painful or even what might be and is very much a me-centered society that says you do for you and if there's leftover others can get the challenge for us is to say no god i'm loving like it matters because it does for everyone in my sphere of influence for the child that you've entrusted to me the spouse that gets on my nerve every now and then for the co-workers that are tough to forgive for the folks I'm serving with on my ministry teams who are different than me, but I know I'm called to, to walk with and to serve with. Love like it matters because it in fact does. And the text says that all of the law, referencing the law of Moses, found in what is called the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, those who spoke a hundred years before Jesus ever came, that he was going to come and fulfill the law. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They hang on to love. They hang on to love. The Pharisees were so concerned here with trapping Jesus with his words that they were missing a big part of what I want to emphasize this morning, which is not just about keeping the other commandments or avoiding sin as much as it was, God, what can you do in and through me when I love you with my whole heart and I love my neighbor as myself? How might the nations be impacted? How might my home change for the better when I love like it matters? When I get over the hard seat and say, what matters more is what you're doing in the relationship that you called me to steward. What matters more is that I prioritize well those relationships and make time for everything else. Hanging on to love. And if we need a reminder of what it looks like to hang on to love, we need to look no further than Golgotha. No further than the nails that were in his hand, the hole from the, the piercing in his side. There's no need to look any further from Jesus Christ, who, not unlike you and me, said at one point, you can miss me with this crucifixion. A little modern-day translation. It hasn't come out yet. Miss me with that, God. He said, let this cup pass from me, is what he said. But then he said, but not my will. Let your will be done in my life. If we need inspiration, we can look a little further to Matthew 28 and see the empty tomb and see, God, Jesus, you went to the cross and hung on to love, not for you, but for me, for us. How might I, in my own sphere of influence, hang on, and I don't mean cling, but literally rest in the love that you have for me, that you want to be born and 
as a conduit through me given to other folks? How might I love like it matters because it does? If we need that inspiration, we can look no further than the cross. And the question I want to ask you all today is how are we hanging on to love? How are we hanging on to love? How are we loving like it matters? When the child that's been entrusted to us, for whatever reason, doesn't want to be obedient. None of us have children like that, but just saying, hypothetic. How might we hang on to love when there are holes literally being dug under you politically in your workspace? How might we hang on to love after you've watched, like me and Taylor watched this week, when they see us? If you haven't seen the documentary, you might want to go and see it. I'd pushed it off because I grew up in New York and I was 10 years old and remembered very clearly having uncles in the NYPD and people in the church at NYPD, all of whom served so well and I thank to this day for their service, but also those who told me how things went down. So we knew at 10 years old what was going on. How after ripping off that Band-Aid and watching that again, God, do we love in a space that desperately needs love? particularly along those lines. What does that look like? And I imagine households, households where maybe seven, maybe it's 14 days now that we haven't talked. Workplaces where whatever you do, I don't know if you put stuff in coffee, whatever you want to do to your coworkers because you don't like them or they're hard to love. Communities where there's clear divide. Charlottesville is certainly up there along those lines. How do we in those spaces Hang on to love. How do we love like it matters? Because it does. I imagine a community that does just that, again, inspired by no one else other than Jesus Christ, who said this is what it looks like to give up everything that you have, your will, your desires, your rationale, dare I say the intellect that he's given you to honor him, submit that to him and let him do with it what he wants for his glory. Hang on, love like it matters, because it does. Amen? Let's pray.